So as we prepare our hearts now for today's message, I want to talk for just a few moments today about the fruit of gratitude. The fruit of gratitude in your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. A familiar passage of scripture. This is not the first time that the pastor has preached from this passage of scripture. It won't be the last time that the pastor preaches uh, from this passage of scripture. 1 Thessalonians in your New Testament, chapter 5. Verse 18, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 18, one of two letters to the Christians, the church at Thessalonica, that Paul the Apostle was divinely inspired by God the Holy Spirit to write to them. It's a brief and short verse that's simple and easy to remember and is appropriate and applicable year-round, not just during Thanksgiving or the season of thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, In all things give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In all things give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So, for starters, let's not miss this very important point right off from the very beginning. If you're wondering what the will of God is, well, here's one very important answer for you to take in and take to heart. Gratitude. Thankfulness. Not just at Thanksgiving, as we have said, and we'll say again and again, but year-round. Gratitude is always the will of God for you and me as Christian believers. Gratitude. And when you think about it, as hard as life can be, as difficult as life's challenges can be to deal with, as difficult as people can be to deal with in this life, because of God's grace, we have a whole lot more to be thankful for than we have to complain about and gripe. All you have to do is just pause and think about it long enough. Ponder it long enough. Consider it. Count your blessings as the old saying goes. Name them one by one. And see what God has done. God has done, as the song says this morning, Great things bless his holy name. I'm talking about the fruit of gratitude because bearing fruit for God is a clear indicator of genuine redemption. It's a clear indicator of what I call genuine redemption. By genuine redemption, I mean that someone is truly saved by God's grace. Bearing fruit is a genuine is an indicator of genuine redemption. And the Bible mentions many different kinds of fruit. For example, 
Psalm number one, verse three, says of the believer who is spiritually fruitful because they love God's word, this person is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That's Psalm number one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He, that person, is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in season. You know, another example uh, is the list of fruit that is found uh, in Galatians chapter 5. By the way, turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, since we mentioned that passage. In Galatians chapter 5, now you're in 1 Thessalonians, so you need to turn back to the left just a little bit uh, to come back to Galatians chapter 5. Where we have the fruit, uh, the works of the flesh contrasted with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and following. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, <laughs> kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See that? Nine fruits of the Spirit, right here in Galatians Chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. Now, as we all know, and as we have been walking together uh, through the Gospel of Mark in our Gospel of Mark series, taking a break from it today, you, but you remember when we were back in Mark chapter 4, that Jesus talked about bearing fruit um, and about bearing good fruit. And we preached a series on bearing fruit for God. You know, there is a such thing as good fruit and there's a such thing as bad fruit. By the way, the bad fruit in Galatians chapter 5 is verses 19, 20, and 21. And the good fruit is in verses 22 and 23. Well, brothers and sisters, the Bible talks about fruit. This is fruit uh, in Galatians 5, for example, that comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. One of the most important fruits, though, of the Christian life, which isn't mentioned in Galatians 5 directly, is the fruit of gratitude. Gratitude. Gratitude is a, a virtue that all humans must learn in order to be healthy and whole in life. Make sure you catch that. Gratitude is a virtue that all humans must learn in order to be healthy and whole. Cicero once said, and I quote, A thankful heart is not only the greatest virtue, but the parent of all other virtues. You really can't have virtue without Gratitude, without a thankful heart. You know, there's a wonderful excerpt on thanksgiving and gratitude 
found in the book that's titled The Battle Plan for Prayer. In that book on page 44 of The Battle Plan for Prayer, it reads as follows, and I quote, Thanksgiving is God-directed, humbly expressed gratitude. Thanksgiving highlights what he has done or is doing. Just as parents delight in grateful children, we should magnify God with thanksgiving, knowing our heartfelt gratitude pleases our Heavenly Father. Psalm 6930, by the way, is the reference there. They go on. Thanksgiving is priceless, yet it costs us nothing except the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name, end quote. Hmm. Thanksgiving is priceless, yet it costs us nothing but the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And the fruit of our lips, giving gratitude and appreciation to others and for others. The season of Thanksgiving reminds us to do this, but in reality, we shouldn't have to be reminded of it, though we as human beings often have to be reminded of things that perhaps we shouldn't have to be reminded of. So the season of gratitude is here, and Thanksgiving is a time where we celebrate gratitude. And it is appropriate at any time of the year. And gratitude. Thanksgiving, ought to be practiced year-round, not just uh, in November on a particular Thursday. So, brothers and sisters, as we walk together through this passage and several passages of Scripture related to it, let us think about practicing gratitude and let us commit ourselves to practicing gratitude as a way of life because God is pleased and glorified when we show appreciation and gratitude to him as well as to others. You know, I shared with the church uh, very recently how much, how thankful I am as pastor for the appreciation uh, that you as the members and attenders of the church have shown to me and my family during Pastor Appreciation Month back in October. It, means more than we can say, and it speaks volumes. It not only, appreciation not only blesses the person whom you appreciate, but appreciation blesses you, the giver. You are blessed for being appreciative as much as the person whom you are appreciating is blessed by your gratitude. Never forget that. It's not a one-way street. It goes both ways. And gratitude is the stuff of which a sound, sane mind is made. Think about it. Gratitude is the stuff of which a Sound and sane mind and heart are made. 
very often people struggle emotionally, mentally and otherwise, and spiritually because they simply can't find anything to be thankful for. Everything is wrong, everything is bad, there's nothing good, and there's no gratitude in the mind or in the heart, no appreciation. When we allow the negatives of life or the negatives or even the negative people in our lives to overshadow and cloud and crowd out gratitude and appreciation, we pay for it profoundly on the inside. The easiest way to lose your joy and happiness is to, well, lose your gratitude and your appreciation. Now here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in our Bibles, brothers and sisters, there's a powerful message for us here in 1 Thessalonians, not only in these words uh, that are found in chapter 5, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But the context here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 includes nine exhortations for Christians to live by. One of them is thanksgiving or gratitude, but there are nine of them in total. Let me give them to you here in summary fashion because they are right here actually in, well, let me read it, verse, beginning at verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to get the context for verse 18. Remember, context is key to understanding everything. Now, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Pause right there. That's the context for verse 18, verses 12 through 22 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So what does the apostle exhort not only the Christians at Thessalonica, but what does the scripture exhort us to do here? Well, among other things, we are to warn the unruly, comfort the disheartened, the feeble-minded, as some translations say, but people who are disheartened, support the weak, be patient toward all, see that none render evil for evil to anyone. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray 
without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. Pause right there. There are three things. Three things to be said about this verse. First of all, I want to look at the dimensions, the dimensions of our gratitude. And then the definition of gratitude. And then finally, the doctrine of gratitude. For gratitude is a doctrine. It is a doctrine of faith, even. The dimensions of our gratitude. Here in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, where he begins, in all things. All things. In all things, give thanks. Pause right there for the moment. When we talk about the dimensions of our gratitude, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about gratitude in good times or good circumstances and gratitude in bad times and bad circumstances. Because the question always is, what do I have to be thankful for even in this situation? Even if it's a bad situation or a bad set of circumstances in which you find yourself, ask the question, what is there to be thankful to God for in this situation? Listen, there is always... Always something, at least one thing, usually always more than one, but at least one thing, even in the worst of circumstances, to be thankful to God for. You know what I often uh, think about when things get really bad and I'm really in a valley or we're going through some really tough and troubled times? You know, what I, you know what I like to do sometimes? The Holy Spirit will just remind me. What are you doing right now? Breathing. It's good to be alive. Isn't it? You know, there's hope as long as you're still alive. Things can turn around as long as you're still breathing. No matter how bad it gets, even... If you're at the bottom of the bottom, well then, you know, like those of us who, who grew up working or working poor or whatever you want to call it, if you're on the bottom, there ain't no way but up. <laughs> ain't nowhere else to go but up. But you can't go anywhere if you ain't breathing. As long as you're still alive, and listen, as long as you're still alive, as we said in the previous message, it's God's will for you to be alive. You want to know what God's will is? Well, God, if you're alive, it's God's will that you're alive. It's God's will that you are breathing. It's not an accident. God doesn't make a mistake. So if you are breathing, you have at least got to be thankful for, no matter how bad the circumstances may be. It's still good to be alive. So in good circumstances as well as bad circumstances, what do we have to be thankful for? 
This is not only true for us as individuals, but it's also true for us as collections, groups of individuals, as congregations, as churches, as God's people. We have far more to be thankful for, far more to give God praise for than we have to be down about. <laughs> you know, we're worshiping, aren't we? We have a place to worship, don't we? And by the way, it happens to be indoors. You know, not everybody in the world has, not every church in the world has a place indoors to worship. <laughs> you know? We're blessed by God's grace. You know, some of the most distressed, depressed, and troubled people often are people who fail to realize how blessed they are. And for some people, they don't realize how blessed they are until they lose stuff or people or everything, you see. Well, don't be one of those people who has to lose everything in order to appreciate anything. Because if you have anything at all, in addition to the breath in your lungs, then you have more than one thing to be thankful for and to have a heart of gratitude. In good, bad circumstances, whatever they are. It's like the weather. Talking about good and bad circumstances. Uh, you know, I, I'm used to hearing people say in certain uh, geographical locations, if you don't like the weather, just wait a little while. It's going to change. <laughs> Well, that's the way it is with life. You'll wait a while. It'll change. It'll change. If you don't like it now, it doesn't feel good now, things aren't good for you right now, wait a while. It'll change. Just be patient. Be patient enough to stay around and see it. Too many people give up before the change comes. They quit too soon throw their hands up, throw their lives away when the change may have been right around the corner, right around the next bend. God always has a plan and a purpose for your life. And God means good for you if you trust him and if you follow him. So whatever the weather is in your life at the moment, it will change. If the weather's bad, if the weather's rough, if there's turbulence, it'll change. It'll blow over. It won't stay the same forever. Hmm. Let me give you some passages of scripture that speak to the dimensions of our gratitude. In all things, give thanks. You know, jot these down. I'm going to have to go through them a little quickly, and I apologize for that, but jot them down so that you can read them for yourself. Acts chapter 5, verse 41 says that the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Peter and John had gotten into trouble with the law and had been dragged before the council because of their preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
and by the power of the gospel, having healed people, and it caused something of an uproar, and the authorities called them in, and uh, they had experienced mistreatment from the authorities. How did they handle it? How did they look at their difficult and dim circumstances at the moment? Acts 5.41 says that when they were let go, they rejoiced, not simply because they were let go. They rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name, speaking of the name of Jesus. Moreover, in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, Paul on his second missionary expedition with Silas, verse 25 says there, at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now that verse right there, if you didn't know anything else about the story, then you would know they were in the middle of a bad situation just by reading this verse alone. Why? Because they're in prison. They're in prison for preaching the gospel. In prison in Philippi. Jailed. And by the way, they weren't supposed to be. You know why they weren't supposed to be? Because Paul was a Roman citizen and legally should not have been incarcerated without a due process. They got no due process. On top of that, they got beaten up and then thrown into the prison and chains tied around them. And here they are in the prison in the worst of situations at midnight, the darkest of night. And what are they doing? The Bible doesn't say they're crying. The Bible doesn't say they're complaining. The Bible doesn't say they're griping and grumbling. The Bible doesn't say that they're crying about it's no fair, not fair, you can't treat me this way. They are praying and singing hymns to God. Just the opposite of what anybody else in the world would expect in a situation like this. They have been wrongly incarcerated, not only incarcerated, but badly mistreated. Laws have been broken in order to throw them into jail. You want to talk about injustice? Yes, they were unjustly treated. What are they doing? Praying and singing hymns to God in the middle of the night, at midnight, in the midnight hour. Hmm. And in the midnight hour, for those of you who know the story, <laughs> you know that God calls the jailbreak in the midnight hour. God responded to their prayers and their singing of hymns. By the way, listen. Um... So let me give you just a little more point of practical application for this. You know, there are too many of us Christians nowadays who don't know enough hymns. See, the hymns and the theological and biblical substance of the hymns, that's the stuff that will get you through deep, dark, troubled times in your life. 
the theology and the substance of the hymns are what holds us together when everything is falling apart, even when we may feel like we're falling apart. Or when others around us are doing everything they can to tear us apart. They're praying and singing hymns. Hymns. In the middle of their suffering. In the middle of their situation. Now later on, Paul the Apostle is going to call them to account and say, was this supposed to happen to a Roman citizen? And when they learned he was a Roman citizen, they almost fell out trying to figure out how to make it right because they knew they were in serious legal trouble under Roman law. But that was later. <laughs> After he got out here, he's praying and singing hymns to God. I don't know about you, but in my darkest hour, in my darkest hours, I remember the hymns that I learned as a young Christian believer 40 years ago. Those hymns have stayed with me and stuck with me. And I've learned more over the years on my own. I got three or four, five hymnals at home. <laughs> One in particular that I've had for decades that I have marked and written through uh, as I read through and learned the stanzas of the hymns. And I can hum them to myself and think them to myself because they encourage me in times of difficulty and darkness. There's something for us to learn about Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns. Let me read on. Listen, jot this down. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. James chapter 1. He writes to the believers who've been scattered abroad. Their lives have been upended and disrupted, you see, by persecution. And in James chapter 1, verse 2, what does he tell them to do? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Okay, so hold on a minute. Hold on. See, we, we, we got to be careful we don't read through Scripture too fast. So whenever we face trials of a variety, of many kinds, whatever they are, you name it. I don't care what it is. Whenever we face trials of many kinds, what should we know? we should know that our faith is being tested in that moment, that our faith is being tested at that time and in that experience. For us as Christians, it's the testing of our faith. God, you say, Lord, why did you let this happen to me? Well, God doesn't owe us an answer or an explanation to that question. By the way, Job, um, Second to Jesus, the greatest sufferer in all of the Bible, the man Job. God never explained to Job why the things that happened to him happened. Job is never told. We are told when we read it. The scripture tells us what was going on behind the scenes. God never explained that to Job. God doesn't have to answer our questions why. And as Job learned, when he, when he encountered the Lord, when the Lord came to him, he said, I have seen the Lord. That is enough for me. Seeing the Lord one day will answer all of our questions. There won't be any more questions to be asked by us. All of our questions will be answered in a moment when we see the face of our Savior. But listen, 
whenever you're going through trials, whatever they may be, realize that God has allowed it to test our faith. Well, if it's a test, then that makes me realize I need to pass the test. And if it's a test of my faith, the only way to pass the test is with faith. <laughs> the answer is already given to us. It's faith. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, patience. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God will allow trials of various kinds in order to mature you and make you whole. It may not feel good. It never does. But that's not the point. And if all you do is focus on the pain, then you will miss the point. You see, that's the problem with too many of us in today's Christianity. Because in the context of today's world, all we ever think about is the pain. That's all we think about. We can't get past the pain. We just can't get past, we can't get past the emotional pain. We, we, can't get, we can't get past the physical pain. We just can't get past the pain. We act like, <clears throat> we act like pain is God. We act like pain is king. We act like pain lasts forever. The only place pain lasts forever is in hell. And you are not in hell. <clears throat> all we focus on, that's, that's all of us these days, in the church and out of the church, all we focus on is the pain all the time. But the pain isn't the point. It was never the point from the beginning. With God, it's not about the pain. The pain is a pathway to fulfill God's purpose. And what is God's purpose? To grow you and me up into spiritual maturity, to grow us up into spiritual strength, to grow us up into spiritual wisdom and understanding. You know what? I can honestly say at this age and stage of my life, one of the things that I would never want to do is go back to a younger age. I know, I know everybody wants to be young again. Everybody spending thousands and thousands and thousands upon thousands of dollars to look young again. <laughs> everybody would be young again. I, I, you speak for yourself. I'm going to speak for me. I don't want to be young again. I don't want to be young anymore. I've been there, done that. Oh, sure, it was good to be able to jump and to run and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I had a slim this, you know, it was straight. It wasn't like this. You know, it was straight. Man, it was, I, you know, I played football, basketball, ran track, all of that good. Uh, that was good for then. But you know what? I done seen some hard days in my life. Some hard days. You know what it's done? It's matured me. 
I would never want to go back to the immaturity where I once was. I don't want, I don't want that. I know better than that. I know better than that. God's purpose is to make you mature and complete. But if all you ever focus on is the pain, then you ain't going to have no gratitude and no thanksgiving anywhere in your heart. And you're going to be lacking everything when God's purpose is for you to lack nothing. But the way God does it is not the way we would do it, but we're not God. If we surrender to God's way, which is often the way of pain, let me ask you this. If Jesus did what you would do when he was experiencing the pain that led him to the cross, would you be saved? I want you to think about it. The Holy Spirit wants you to think about it. If Jesus had done what you would do when he experienced pain, there would be no salvation for anyone. He endured the pain and the shame. Hebrews chapter 12 said, says, consider him who endured such suffering from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart and become disheartened. Stop focusing on the pain and focus your mind and your heart on God's purpose through the pain. Pain is only a pathway. You stay there in the pathway, you never get to the destination. If any of you lacks wisdom, by the way, James goes on to say, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives it generously to all without finding fault and wisdom will be given to him. You know what? Whenever we find ourselves in difficult and trying situations, the most important thing that we can do is pray for wisdom as Christians. Ask God for wisdom. God will give it generously so long as we obey the wisdom he gives us. And so long as we follow through on what God gives us the wisdom to do, we will be blessed and we will be whole and we will grow in maturity. And we'll pass through the pain, not stay in the pain. So much to say in so little time. But we're talking about gratitude. And what's the correlation here between pain and gratitude? Our pain, we allow to drown out our gratitude. We allow our pain to overshadow our appreciation. We can allow our pain and our problems to blind us to the fact that there is far more good and far more grace than there is grim in our lives. 1 Peter chapter 1. Jot this one down. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 6 through 9. Peter says there in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 6 and following, In this you rejoice greatly, Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These trials have come so that your faith, a faith which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes in, uh, even though refined by fire. These trials have come so that your faith 
may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, and the goal of your faith is the salvation of your soul. We're being saved and preserved by God's grace unto salvation through trials of many kinds, through suffering and grief of all kinds, as Peter acknowledges in verse 6 of 1 Peter chapter 1. But God will do it. God does it. He does it all so that our faith will be refined like pure gold, brothers and sisters. What a blessing. Yeah, that's the point, actually, of the struggles, the trials, the tribulations, the problems, and the deep pain, is that God's purpose is to make your faith as refined as pure gold. You know, God will bring good out of bad. Again, thinking about the dimensions in all things. God will bring good out of bad. You see, if gratitude and thankfulness please God, ingratitude and grumbling displease him. <laughs> Why? Because ingratitude refuses to acknowledge the goodness of God in all things. Just because things are bad doesn't mean God is bad. No matter how bad things are, no matter how bad people are, God is still good. And the fact that God is good is far greater than all the bad and the evil that this world could compile together. God's goodness is greater than all of the grim combined. God is good no matter what happens in life. Humility teaches us that we do not deserve God's goodness. We deserve his divine judgment for our sins. God's goodness shows us that he loves us in spite of our sins. For this, we ought to be thankful to God. Because things could be much worse for us if God did not show grace and mercy. Even in our bad experiences, things could be much worse. You know that? Do you realize that? You know, I had a coach a football coach who uh, used to say that uh, when something went bad. You know, it could always be worse. Or I'm not doing as bad as I could be. There's wisdom in that. Yes, it could always be worse. It could be much worse. You know how? You know how I know? You know how you know? All you have to do is look around. Look at other people, people you may know, for whom it's much worse. Hmm, think about it. <clears throat> Bad experiences could always be much worse. Were it not for God's grace and goodness toward us, even though it is undeserved. But God is good throughout 
the good and the bad experiences in life. And God's goodness is greater than our pain. This is why we're thankful. This is why we have gratitude. God's goodness and his grace is more powerful than our pain. Now all you have to do is trust God and believe it and it will be true for you. This is why Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And in Romans chapter 8 verses 35 to 39, by the way, if you've never read Romans chapter 8, you just need to sit yourself down, get your Bible in the quiet somewhere, and read the whole chapter. In Romans 8, 35 and 39, it affirms why we should be thankful in our hearts to the Lord. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8. You know, when I think about the definition of our gratitude as I hurry on to a close, not just the dimensions, but the definition of our gratitude. He said, in all things, give thanks. Those two English words, give thanks, are one word in the original Greek, and it's in a grammatical form that we call imperative. It's a command. Gratitude, therefore, is essential. That's why it's a command. And gratitude should be not only essential, is not only essential, but it also should be endless. In other words, gratitude as a command is something that we should continually exercise, that we should continually do. The Apostle Paul's letters to the Christians uh, at Thessalonica contain several excellent examples of how to encourage others with Christian gratitude. For example, in 1 Thessalonians, the same book, chapter 1, verse 2, second verse into 1 Thessalonians, he says this, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, when he writes, he writes later on in this very same letter, chapter 2, verse 13, 
And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Then the next chapter in the same letter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Then he writes a second letter uh, to the Thessalonians and three verses in, he says, he writes, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And in the next chapter of that same letter, verse two, chapter 2, verse 13, but we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Mm. You see, gratitude brings glory to God. And gratitude brings blessing to us who offer gratitude and blessing to those who receive our gratitude. Gratitude is also a fruit of the Spirit. It is a work of the Spirit of God. So not only during the season of Thanksgiving, but in every season, let us cultivate a spirit, an attitude of gratitude and thankfulness in our hearts. Every day when you get up, ask yourself the question, what do I have to be thankful for today? You know you've got one answer, because if you were able, if you were conscious and breathing, then you know you've already got one answer to that question. Finally, let me say, let me point out five things about the doctrine of gratitude. You know what the scripture says, in all things, speaking of the dimensions of our gratitude, give thanks. For this is God's will. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That's a, among other things, that's a doctrinal statement about gratitude about thankfulness. Number one, it tells us that gratitude is the will of God. And ingratitude is not the will of God. <laughs> gratitude is the will of God. That's what he says here, right there in the last part of the verse. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Gratitude is the will of God. Number two, gratitude gives glory to God. Anything that is the will of God glorifies God. Gratitude gives glory to God. Number three, gratitude reflects our salvation in Christ. For all of us who have been genuinely saved, born again by the precious blood that Jesus shed on Calvary's cross, gratitude is a reflection of our salvation. People who are genuinely saved are thankful and grateful, first to God, 
and then in every other appropriate way. Gratitude reflects our salvation in Christ. Fourth, gratitude reveals our humility in Christ. See, you've got to humble yourself to be thankful. You can't, arrogant people don't thank anybody for anything. Proud people are usually blinded by their pride and fail to see what they ought to be appreciating. Fail to see who they ought to be appreciating. Gratitude reveals our humility in Christ. You can't have gratitude without humility. Fifth and finally, gratitude deepens our holiness in Christ. You want to grow deeper in the Lord, deeper in your walk with God, deeper in your understanding of God's word, deeper in the faith, deeper in your personal faith. The way to go deeper, the way to grow deeper is by gratitude. Be thankful to God for what he's already taught you, for how far he has already brought you. You may not be where you want to be, and everything may not have gone the way it was supposed to go. But if God has gotten you from wherever you were to wherever you are in your journey with him today, be grateful, be thankful, have a heart and an attitude of gratitude about it. Why? Because that shows God that you honor him. Gratitude deepens our holiness, our holiness in him. Not holier than thou, holiness. Gratitude is part of what makes us holy and helps us to grow in holiness as the children of God, saved by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Gratitude is the will of God. It gives glory to God. It reflects our salvation in Christ. It reveals our humility in Christ. And gratitude deepens our holiness in Christ. So gratitude is more than just about one day a year, more than a holiday. It's about a life lived in gratitude for God's love, grace, mercy, and peace that he has given us through his son Jesus Christ who took away all of our sins when he died on the cross of Calvary. Now has he taken away your sins? If you have trusted and believed him, then the answer is yes. But if you have not, then your sins are still all on you. No wonder there's so much anxiety. No wonder there's so much anxiousness among people. Why? Because, well, everybody's walking around bearing the weight of their own sin. For everyone who has not trusted Christ and surrendered to him, for him to have taken away the guilt of their sin. Mm. As we close... 
I'm reminded of this. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and following, as a word of encouragement to all of us who are believers, and especially during this holiday season, a word to the wise, to the saved, is sufficient. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of hearing your word today. For we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we pray now that faith will be born in the hearts of those who have had no faith. We pray, O oh God, that your Holy Spirit will bring to bear the weight of his convicting power and the power of your word brought to bear on the soul of the sinner who has not repented. And that he or she may be brought to conviction and look up to you, O oh God, look up to you, Lord Jesus, for salvation and say, I surrender to you. Oh Lord, we pray for every Christian believer who needs to cultivate a heart and an attitude of gratitude and who needs to stop letting the grim and all of the other things of this world overshadow the good that you are and that you have done in their lives. Thank you, O oh God, for the blessing and the grace of gratitude and thankfulness. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We honor and glorify you. We thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is the greatest gift of all eternity. O oh God, we pray for the salvation of sinners the strengthening and encouragement of the saints in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen and amen.